0: Well, good morning, Faith Fellowship, and welcome to this first Sunday of the new year, 2024. Ah, good morning. I thought for sure we were finally going to get some measurable snow. Last season during the 2022, 2023 winter months, February to be precise, we got a whopping 0.2 inches of snow. That's according to NOAA. Not that NOAA, not the NOAA of the Bible, but the National Oceanic and Atmospheric administration. You have to go back two years to January of 2022 for our last good snow amount of 13.3 inches. Looking forward to that again. We got a total of 14.4 that year. Now, if you like snow, don't give up hope just yet. We are just starting the really cold months of the year. Of course, when they call for snow, we never get snow, right? It's when they call for a dusting, that you've got to, you've got to look out. That's when we get slammed with snow. Well, I know what I'm going to be doing the next time it snows. I thought that was pretty creative. Look at that. <laughs> well, this morning, we're not doing any of that. Let's pray, and we'll see what this new season brings in our new series in God's Word. But before we do, I want to remind you, if you missed a message, any message of the year, last year, you want to catch up, you want to listen again, share it with a friend, you can always do so. By going to ffcsermons.org, where you can download or listen online or set up a podcast. You can also go to www.ffcph.org, click on the live tab, and watch previously recorded messages on YouTube or Facebook. Well, let's pray and we'll see what God has for us. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you that you've brought us through the past year. We thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then underneath are your everlasting arms. We thank you that we can trust you, that you are faithful no matter what. And Father, we put our lives in your hands and we offer them up to you. We do so this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, put your hands up if you've ever read the Bible from cover to cover. Cover to cover, okay? Now forget index and maps. Right. just Genesis to Revelation. Any, any more hands to go up with that? Okay, all right, you, you put your hands down. The rest of you, chill out about it. I don't want you to feel too guilty yet. You know, listen, when you get to heaven, it's gonna be a little awkward because you're gonna get there and Peter's gonna go, welcome, welcome. Come on in, we've been expecting you. Oh, let me introduce you to Obadiah. And Obadiah's going, oh, man, it's so good to see you. Did you read my book? And you're going, to go, book? What book? And Obadiah's going to turn to Zephaniah and say, Zephaniah, let me introduce you to this new guy. And Zephaniah is going to say to you, did you read my book? What, you wrote a book too? Does everyone write books here in heaven? Listen, you're going to have an awkward time. You're not going to be able to have conversations with certain people if you've never read the book the book. And I urge you and I encourage you, don't put yourself in that situation. Seriously, this is the only reliable data we have about God. And so this morning, we're kicking off a new series that we're calling What's in a Name? What's in a Name? In this series, we're going to be talking about the names of God. And God has many names. He has to have many names. Why? Well, because his character and his nature, is, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like a diamond. And what makes a diamond so beautiful is how multifaceted it is. And when the light hits a facet, it sparkles, doesn't it? It's why our wives love them so much. Either that or it was a brilliant marketing strategy just to sell rocks that shined. Right? Anybody remember pet rocks back in the mid-70s? They still sell those on Amazon for $29.99. It's just a rock. And it comes in a box with a pedigree. I didn't know rocks had pedigrees. And the $7 shipping on top of that. What a brilliant marketing scheme. Well, God has many facets. So many so that you need many names to describe his character traits and attributes. He's got to have many names just to barely describe him. Think about it, even in terms of humans. In human terms, we have a lot of multiple names, don't we? We get called different things, don't we? Some good, some bad. My kids call me dad. My grandchildren, they call me Jaja. Some folks want to call me Pastor Jim, but really just Jim is fine. And I know as sure as I have said that, somebody's going to come after the sermon and go, just Jim, I wanted to ask you a question. It's just Jim. Leave the just part off. When I was in middle school, I was the same basic size that I am now, 100 pounds lighter. The same basic size. I, was, I wore a size 10 shoe in the seventh grade. I wear a 12 now. And I would stick my legs out under the desk. And one day the teacher tripped over my big feet. And she said something about me looking like Lurch from the Adams family. And for the rest of middle school, that's what I was called. Everybody called me Lurch, and I knew who they were talking about. When I was little, rather than ask my mother a question, I would just pull on her shirt or her skirt or her pants, and apparently it got on her nerves because she called me Bugger Boy. Let me tell you, it took years of therapy, but I'm over it now. Bugger Boy is what she referred to me as. My wife calls me Papa Sign. And depending on the kind of mood he is, sometimes she calls me some other stuff. We'll leave that one alone. Back in the early days of faith, a group of women were trying to describe me, and they said that I was James the Just. I try to live up to that name. Even we are multifaceted and need to have more than just one name. Now imagine God. Imagine trying to describe his character and his nature in just one name. It's impossible. So the bible reveals to us many names that god goes by and each name reveals or gives us another little glimpse into his character and his nature so over the next 11 weeks we're going to be looking at some of the more prominent names of god in the scriptures my heart our heart our hope and prayer is that we're going to know him better in 11 weeks than we do right now so it's going to be a journey So if you're ready, I want to hear you say, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Amen. The first name of God that we are going to look at in this series is the name Yahweh. We'll also touch on Adonai and Elohim as well. In Jewish tradition, Yahweh is too sacred a name to utter out loud. Over time, the Jews started to substitute in Adonai or my Lord, especially when speaking. Another common replacement is the name Elohim, which simply means God. What's interesting is that these two replacement names, nicknames, if you will, are both used for other things beside our God, not just for our Lord and God. Whereas Yahweh is reserved exclusively as a name for our God. And so we'll focus on Yahweh. Yahweh was the name that God first revealed to a man named Moses. Now, Yahweh is not a word that most American Christians use from time to time. You will hear it here in our church services or there are a couple songs like we sang this morning that have the name Yahweh in it but what in the world does it mean what does it mean in a a practical relational sense to us and how we relate to God well today we're going to find out so let's go to the scriptures Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1 now Moses was tending the flocks of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So here we find Moses in the desert, and he's tending his father-in-law's flock. Well, how did he get there? So let's talk about Moses' backstory for just a little bit. Moses was born during the time of the Israelites' slavery in Egypt. And even though the Jews were enslaved, God was still blessing them. They were still getting married. They were still having children. They were still being fruitful in multiplying, even during a time of severe adversity. Pharaoh, at this time, he's watching the Jewish people multiply, and he's beginning to get threatened by them. He's thinking, pretty soon, there's going to be more of them than us. They might become too powerful and overthrow us. So to reduce their numbers, he commanded that all baby boys be killed at birth by the midwives who were helping to deliver them. If it was a girl, they could let the baby live. But if it was a boy, they were supposed to kill it. But they refused to listen to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh commanded that all baby boys, all Jewish baby boys, be thrown into the Nile to be drowned. The Jewish nation has had a tough time of it, it seems, from then and before until their current circumstances, having to deal with evil on every front. Pharaoh is evil, and he wants these boys exterminated. It is during this time that Moses' mom gives birth, and of course she wants to save her son's life, so she hides him for three months. But after three months, she decides, you know, I'm not going to be able to hide him anymore. So she builds a basket, and she puts him in the basket, and she places him in the River Nile, trusting God that God is somehow going to intervene and take care of him. And God does because he has plans for Moses. Not long after this, Pharaoh's daughter goes down to bathe in the river. And she sees this basket. And she uncovers it. And here's a crying baby. And she has compassion on him. She knows that this is a, a Hebrew baby. But she could not bring herself to kill him. So she adopts him and raises him as her own. Now Moses grows up to be a man. And one day... He sees one of the Egyptians beating one of the Jewish slaves. And when he thought no one was looking, Moses sought justice by his own hand. And so he takes the law into his own hand and he kills the Egyptian and he buries him in the sand. He didn't think anyone had seen him. But the next day, two Israelite men are fighting and Moses steps in to break up the fight And they say, who are you to to rule over us? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And all of a sudden he realizes, oh, no, they know. They know. People know what I did. And when Pharaoh found out, he wanted to kill Moses. And so Moses flees for his life. He goes to this place in Midian and he meets a woman. This is just like a Hallmark movie, isn't it? I mean, this is something else. Or days of our lives, or as the world turns, or at least as the desert sands turn. General Hospital, where are Luke and Laura? I'm expecting them to pop up at any time. I was addicted to that one when I was in college. I would rush to get at lunchtime down to the student union with a whole lot of other kids so we could watch General Hospital and find out what was going on in the lives of Luke and Laura. Moses, he begins to work as a shepherd, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And he's there in this desert place, a place of obscurity, and some amazing things begin to happen. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. He goes, uh, and so let's go to chapter 3, verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Already, I'm excited. I'm excited. Maybe it's because God made me weird, and I love fire so much. Always have all my life. When I was six, seven years old, I lit my, back, my neighbor's backyard, fire, uh, backyard on fire with one of their kids. Well, I used a match, but you know what I mean. I was with one of their kids when I lit their backyard on fire. It was a one alarm blaze. You see, they never cut their grass. And we were rolling cars down the sliding board that we had lit on fire because it looked cool when the flames were flying out of the windows of these little cars. But when they hit the tall grass and everything started burning, I knew it was time for me to go. Uh, I hear my mother calling, i got to go. And I hightailed it on out of there all the way home. When I see stuff like this in the Bible, I just can't read past it. And this phenomenon, it got Moses' attention. Fire will do that. Now picture this, Moses is at the end of the desert. It's hot, it's dry, and a bush starts burning. What do you think he did? Well, most people think, well, he's a a, a Bible person. He responded supernaturally. He didn't respond the way that a normal person would respond. He's standing in the middle of the desert, and all of a sudden, poof, a bush just burst into flames. What do you think he did? Do you think he stood there and went, Behold, a bush burneth. I don't think so, verily, a bush burneth. Do you think that his blood pressure went up a little bit? Do you think he might have been a little excited about this? In biblical terms, it says in verse 2: There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. I mean, this is beautiful. Not only did the bush burst into flames, but it didn't burn up. I mean, it burned, but it didn't burn. There were no ashes, it didn't crinkle, things weren't falling to the ground. It was just burning, and Moses went, whoa, it's a butane bush? Now some of you have your Bibles open and say, I don't see that word butane in here anywhere. All I'm trying to do is help you understand is that Moses is like you and I. He had feelings like you and I. And when this thing burst into flames, he had to get incited. In fact, it says, Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. If you translate that into modern English, it comes out like, whoa, this is too cool. Check this out. I got to go see what in the world. I got to get me one of these. I'm going to order it on Amazon tomorrow. now, Now, God is watching this. And it says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God is watching. He's an amazing God. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, behold, a bush speaketh. Whoa, what's going on? Now, let me tell you something. We have a creative, absolutely wonderful God who, you know why he did this? He did this because he wanted to get Moses' attention. And that's why he did this. And God will use many creative ways to get our attention. He wants to get Moses' attention, and this did the job. If you're standing in the desert and a bush burst into flames, and that doesn't get your attention, and if the bush burns, but it doesn't burn, and that doesn't get your attention, if the bush talks to you, that will get your attention. So Moses is in the middle of nowhere, and God speaks his name. Moses. Moses. Let's read down to verse 14, starting in 5. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and any other ites you want to add in there. And now the cry of Israel has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are opposing them, oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God has Moses full attention now. He's all ears and excuses. God has a job for him to do, and he really didn't want to do it. He made a lot of excuses for not being able to do it. But God doesn't let him off the hook. Jim, I thought this was a message about Yahweh. Why are we talking so much about Moses? Well, hear me, I'm almost there. This is important because it is through God's interactions with us that he reveals his name and his character. It is through God's interactions with us that he reveals his name and his character, all of his names and his character traits. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. But Moses is like, well, I'm glad you're going to be with me. But how is that a sign? And what is the sign? Is it that when you've brought the people out of Egypt, we're going to worship you here on this mountain? Or is it the burning bush? Either way it makes no sense. One is a future event that hasn't taken place yet. How is that a sign to anyone other than Moses? The other will be a past event, the burning bush that only Moses saw. So Moses asked a question, a curious question. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Why would Moses ask that question? That's not the question I would have asked. I would have said, look, God, since you're going to be going with me anyway, why don't you tell them yourself? No need for me to speak for you, and I stutter anyway. You might as well do all the talking. Here's why it matters. In the Old Testament, a person's name was a reflection of his character. Abraham means father of a great multitude. Eve means living, which is fitting because she is the mother of all living people. Jesus means Savior. Names were very, very important at that time. He could point to a person's disposition, their mission in life and more. And Moses knew that. And the name of your God was even more revealing about your God's power and character. And he just happens to be talking to the God of the Israelites. When he asked God in Exodus 3.13 what he should tell the Israelites when they ask who sent him. He's essentially asking God to prove some credibility, to, to provide some credibility to the fantastic story that he's about to tell his people. He's asking God about his character and nature that will be revealed in the name that he will tell Moses. Because Moses is certain they're never going to believe this story about a burning bush. Who I think his cheese done slid off his cracker. He'd been in the desert so long it's killed all but two of his brain cells, and they're both fighting for third place. They're going to think he's totally lost it. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And if you ask God, who are you? And he replies, I am who I am. This is significant. And we need to take time to dwell on that chosen name if we want to know him. So let's do that with the rest of our time this morning. We're going to start with this. Yahweh is the self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal God. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He goes back and back and back with no beginning. God has no need of us. That simple fact can be a little offensive, to our human nature, that part of us that wants to be significant, that wants to be needed. But it's true, God does not need us. He doesn't need anyone. Israel writes, Isaiah writes this, chapter 44, he says, this is what the Lord, and he's using the word Yahweh there, says your redeemer, this is what the Lord (coughs) says, your redeemer, who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. And again, in chapter 66, he says, Has not my hand made all things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord? He is completely whole by himself, and he's eternal. He has always existed, and he always will. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And he is the only one in existence who can be described this way. The rest of us need quite a lot of things to go right in order to keep existing. The most powerful human on earth is still at the mercy of his health. My former boss and now co-worker has to take 24 pills three times a day just to keep living, and he's still working. God stands alone in needing nothing, in being wholly self-sufficient, self-existent, and eternal. The God of your father of your father's father, of your father's 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 father. All the way back, he continues to go. Yahweh is a holy God. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. When was the last time that we took a step back and acknowledged the holiness of God? The most common theologies are the ones today that make God into our own personal servant, the ones that will get us the best life now, perfect peace, prosperity, no problems. Look, God is not our servant. He doesn't do DoorDash or Instacart or, or Uber or anything else on demand. He works according to his own plan. The writer of Psalm 113 tells us, God is higher than anything and anyone, outshining everything you can see in the skies. Who can compare with God? Our God. So mag majestically enthroned, surveying his magnificent heavens and earth. He isn't like us. He is higher than us. Yet he reveals himself to us more deeply than we can ever imagine. Yahweh is a relational God. It says in verse 7, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. In verse 12, the first part he tells Moses, don't panic. He says, I will be with you. Five words of power. I will be with you. The fact that God introduces himself as Yahweh tells us that his first priority in relating to us is to make sure that we know that he is an intensely personal God, seeking to have a relationship with his people. No other God is like him. We talked earlier about how God does not need us. But that makes it all the more wondrous that he wants us, that he wants to know us. This is a God who was so motivated by love to know us and to be in a relationship with us that he sent his own son down to earth to become human so that he could redeem us, so that we could have a relationship with him. He's a relational God. Number four, he's a generational God. I find it interesting that God introduces himself to Moses. When he does, he introduces himself as a generational God. Then he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Not only does he introduce himself to Moses this way, he ends this opening encounter in verse 15 with these words. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This morning here in our first installment of this series, as we begin to look at the many names of God, I think we need to be reminded today that God is a generational God. You see, what God is saying to Moses is this. Moses, I am the God of every generation, including yours. Now, I'm about to get myself in trouble, but I can handle it because I believe the Lord is with me this morning. I want to talk to the old people in the room for a minute. Now, don't get mad yet. You get to determine whether or not you fall into that category. I'm not going to tell you whether or not you're old. I'm going to let you determine it yourself. But I will say this. I'm going to be 61 on my next birthday, and I have grandchildren. So I'm putting myself into the old category and I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to put my wife there too. Joanna, girl, you old, all right? We both old together. I'm old too, you know it. So how many old people do we have in the room this morning? All right, keep your hands up. How many old people who self-identify as young people? Well, about the same, maybe a few more hands. Okay, you put your hands down. I want to preach to us for just a minute, because if you're not careful, You will look at the craziness that is happening in our world and begin to think that God is only the God of the old. If we're not careful, we can watch too many news channels, browse too many YouTube videos, watch too many TikToks. We might start to believe that there is no hope for a move of God in this generation. If we're not careful, we can begin to believe that God is done working in the affairs of men. But I want to draw your attention to the text. God shows up to a guy in the desert and introduces himself as a generational God. He goes and he says, oh Moses, he doesn't go to Moses and say, oh Moses, I wish you had been around when when Abraham was here in Abraham's day. Moses, did you know that in Abraham's day you could buy a house for $5,000? Moses, I wish you'd have been there in those days. God doesn't say to Moses, oh Moses, I wish you had been around in Isaac's day. Oh, Moses, the churches were full in Isaac's day, and the malls weren't even open on Sunday. Moses, too bad you weren't around to enjoy the good old days, Moses. Faith, I don't know if you're picking up on what I'm laying down, but if we're not careful, we begin to look at the moral decay in our culture and start believing that somehow God can't do today what he did back in the day. He comes to Moses and he says, Moses, I am the God of your ancestors. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And yes, Moses, I moved in their day, but I am also your God. And I'm going to move in your day too. Amen? Amen. Amen. To those who didn't identify as old people. I know some of us old people, we like to sit around and complain. We had to walk to school and home both ways. We're uphill in the snow with no shoes. You know, we love the good old days. I'm one of them, but I tell you, the same God of the Bible is alive and well today. Somebody give me an amen. And he's got a plan for your future. So forgive us old people for passing down our fear and our anger and our depression because God is not dead and your God is not done. And he's going to move in your generation as he moved in their generation. And he's going to do it today and he's going to do it through you. Are you ready? Amen. You must to say, are you ready? I know y'all better be more ready than that. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Very good. By the way, we need volunteers in Kids Quest. You can see Ashley to sign up. That'll be your first step. And it's going to use you to do it. Finally, worship team, you can make your way back up. Yahweh is full of mystery, but worth seeking. Only a mysterious God would ask us to know him as the God who is who he is. We weren't meant to understand everything about him as evidenced by the fact that we simply can't. We worship a God of mystery, yet a God who is closer to us than our own very breath. Yahweh is a paradox, and one we will never reach the end of when it comes to understanding him. There simply is too much of him to know fully in one lifetime. But we can always seek more. That should be our daily goal, to move one step closer to knowing the God who is. The richness and fullness of perfect love awaits anyone seeking to know the one who would do anything to have and know us. And that's worth the pursuit. Stand with me for the benediction. We're going to end with a song after that. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Timothy one seventeen. Faith Fellowship, know that God is for you and not against you. Have a good week in Jesus.